Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just gone midday here on Oz Business Australia's only live streaming business and finance network. Uh, great to have your company for the next hour or so for the call. This is a show that goes for 60 minutes. Every afternoon, we analyse 10 stocks that you suggest as viewers. I put them to an expert panel, one of my favourite panels uh, today. So it'll be good to get straight into it. Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial Group. Michael, how are you? Andrew Page I'm from well. Strawman. Andrew, how goes it with you? Um, are you uh, big big falls overnight on American markets? The the bears have come out and stuck their head up and gone. Don't forget us. Uh, are you are you worried? No, um, you know there's a crash coming. There's a crash coming. One hundred percent. I just don't know when it is and how big it will be. So you know, I just I just carry on and take take. Take it as best I can in my stride when it does come, because yeah. I, I think that there's more money. I forget who said it now, but there's been more money waiting to um, in anticipation of a, of a crash than has actually been lost in a crash. So you know you can oh. you can overthink these. Oh, that, that's a good line. I'll steal that one um, without giving you credit. Uh, my <laughs> Michael, does it concern you at all, or do you have a list of stocks that you're waiting for pullback on your watch list? Is that how how uh, you pros do it? Of course, you've got to always have a list of, of things that you're, you're looking at. But look, I mean, falls, I think the Aussie market's probably down around 6%, maybe 7% from the highs a few months ago. Um, so in the scheme of things, they're not significant pullbacks. Those sorts of pullbacks are, are very, very normal. Um, and, and as Andrew touches upon, there's always going to be a crash at some stage. Um, it's just a matter of, of when. So you can't get too caught up in it. Otherwise, you'll send yourself a little bit crazy. But I think if you look at sort of the chance of cash outperforming shares from any point on a 12-month rolling basis is about 25% or so, historically speaking, looking at the US markets. It's very similar in Australia. And each year after that, um, the, the, the chance of cash outperforming equities gets lower and lower to the point where over a five or 10-year basis, you'll never outperform the stock market with cash. So okay. you just got to be careful and keep that in mind always. All right. Let's um, get into it and uh, uh, we're continuing our future fund stock series. If, if you've missed the memo on this, for the next two weeks, this week and next week, I've asked our guests to suggest a stock to put in the bottom drawer to help pay for the monstrous costs of uh, raising children. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you like an education fund, um, as, uh, as a granddad with uh, a daughter and daughter-in-law delivering uh, in November, so it's a very exciting time. I keep keep saying, oh, the cost of education going forward. So um, I'm looking at a long-term, high-quality portfolio play. So I'm asking each of our guests this week and next week, what would they suggest that they'd put in that portfolio? Now, these two have cheated a bit today uh, because I suggested more than one. So I'm going to put, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm going to put the hammer on you both. 
and say, you've got to choose one to add to the portfolio of the, uh, of the other uh, guests and experts we have on the panel. Andrew, what would you put in? Uh, damn it. I was hoping to cheat a little bit there. It's, <laughs> I, I do love the exercise, though. Um, I, think, I think what's great about it is that it frames it um, instantly for the very long term, which always make, you know, forces you to make, I think, smarter, more uh, calm, more rational investment decisions. So whether or not it's for education or whatever it is, I think yeah. this, is, this is the mindset that you should approach. So I went for a couple of boring, safe ones uh, elsewhere. But the, the one I'll throw out will be a little bit spicier. It's a pretty small company called Kip McGrath. These guys do okay. uh, tutoring uh, franchise operations, family-run business, been around for ages, You know, doubled revenue since 2013. Profits about tripled since then. Took a bit of a knock with COVID, but the online part of the business has held up really well. Just very savvy operators. I think there'll be a bit of a pickup in face-to-face -face learning when this, this thing all washes through and... There's just a long, there's a long runway yeah. for growth. A lot of smart investors I know like it, so I, I think I think it's it's worth having well, a look at. And shares have come back quite a bit lately too, so right. that makes it a bit more. Compelling. So there's a bit of synergy when you're complaining about the high cost of education. You can go, well, I'm getting a bit of that, you know. Exactly. <laughs> in an education, I like the way you think, uh, Michael. <laughs> what would you put in the portfolio? So I gave you two options. So technically, yeah, no, you I'm tried cheating, to cheat, but too. there was a reasoning behind it. There was. Um, <laughs> One one ETF, so that's right. not tip, not technically a stock. And then I uh, I suggested yeah. CSL. Um, the hard thing with an individual stock is that over time uh, there's going to be change in news flow. Uh, the reports are going to vary from time to time, which might alter your decision on your view of that particular company. And so ETF's it's always fine. Great. Scott Phillips from Motley Fool suggested the beta shares Nasdaq 100, uh, the Nasdaq 100 ETF yesterday. For yeah. Us. I suggesting the the S and P five hundred because you get a bit of both. You get a bit of the Nasdaq companies and you get some of the Dow Jones as well, um, and that over the long term should do very very well for people. Um, but if you're looking for an individual stock, it's hard to go past um, the the previous winner, if you like, CSL, which has yep. proven to be a, a very good long term performer. Um, a company of that size, which continues to compound its earnings growth at double digits each year. Uh, should continue to grow quite nicely. So that's my individual okay. stock of choice. So Kip McGrath and CSL, uh, as I said yesterday, we had the Beta Nasdaq 100 ETF and Technology One from um, from Mark and, and Scott. And then Monday, Gaurav and Mathan uh, had Wes Farmers and Family Zone. So an interesting collection of, uh, of stocks there for it. All right, let's get into, uh, into the stocks you want us to have a look at. And first up, Andrew Page, another Andrew, wants a view on supply network. Uh, Andrew says, any insights a panel might have be appreciated. Been a great performer, quality stock, however it seems overvalued. Now, um, I've, it hadn't come on the call before, uh, supply network, and it's an aftermarket's um, uh, parts provider for the commercial vehicle industry in Australia and New Zealand. Um, has a couple of uh, subsidiaries. Uh, what did you think of uh, Supply Network, Andrew? I've been following it for years. It's a, it's a real yeah. under the radar company, but yes. it's just it's just an exceptional business. A, a good way to think about it is a bit like Bapcor, except for uh, commercial uh, vehicle fleets, uh, uh, trucks, uh, and a bit of buses. Um, look, they've they've done so well. They've nearly tripled their per share earnings in the last uh, five years. 
they had this three-year target that they met a year early. They've set another very conservative target, uh, which I think that they'll they'll beat quite easily. It's an incredibly resilient business, and COVID demonstrated this wonderfully. <clears throat> you know when when uh, especially for supply networks you know uh actual supply networks not the company i mean they they these these supply chains are dependent on these trucks staying on the road so it's a very dependent um a very dependable industry it's a very complex industry the 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 the, the national truck fleet is very diverse increasingly so there's a lot more components so it's a biz- it's an area where scale, expertise, inventory management, all of that kind of stuff mm. is quite challenging. But if you get it right, and these guys are masters at it, they can do ex- extremely well on it. So, look, I, I agree with the caller, an outstanding business, but I do have some concerns um, over the uh, over the, the valuation. If you take management at their word, and maybe you shouldn't in the sense that maybe they're being too conservative, so in a good way, but if you take them at their word, you're really, you know, you're not getting much of a yield at this point in time, and you're paying quite a quite a bit for something that might be sort of upper single digit kind of growth. So definitely one for the watch list. Bear in mind, it's very, look look at the chart, right? It's extremely yeah. thinly traded. Um, it's it's very much uh, tightly held by management and insiders. There's someone I want to say who owns thirty percent or so of the business in there. Maybe a former founder. I've gone right. blank at this point in time. But yeah, an excellent business. Keep it on the watch list and on and on a decent pullback. It's one it's one to pick up. Okay, interesting, uh, Michael. I hadn't come across this before, but I, I wish I had. I wish Andrew told me um, about <laughs> it. It's, it's exactly the type of, of business uh, that we like. It's quite simple in, in what they do. They've carved out a, a bit of a niche for themselves with trucks and buses um, throughout that whole process from identifying the issue, um, procuring the parts, installing it, all that sort of stuff. So. Very, very good quality business. Again, you look at those key metrics, things like revenues being stepping higher each year, things like earnings have been stepping high and net profit, return on equity. So it rightly has done very well when you're looking at the share price. The question is about the valuation at the moment, given how fast it is growing, and it's probably got a little bit too far ahead, but you can probably overpay for this stock and have some confidence that over time, uh, the price will at least continue to move higher. Uh, the big issue for many sort of institutional investors and probably why it's not as well recognized is because of that liquidity. Uh, the yeah. fact is that it's pretty much impossible for um, an institutional investor or a fund manager or even a stockbroking firm to get large swaths of their clients in and out. Um, so for that reason, it's probably a, a no-go. But as an individual investor, I'm happy to, to give it as a, a tick as a buy. Um, okay. It's a good quality company. I think there could be founder involvement still. I think the top three shareholders own 60% of the company or so, and that probably contributes to the liquidity, but it means that it's run more than likely uh, very, very well. So I'm going to give it a, a buy for a retail uh, mum and dad investor. Okay. All right. Our second stop. Can I just say quickly, yeah. just very quickly on that, it's, because of that ownership, it is very much run for insiders in the sense that you can bet that dividend is going to be super reliable, and it actually right. has been. In fact, if you'd bought it, Back in 2013 or so, your initial cost price was covered by dividends very quickly. So it's it's one I think it's one for, to to look at a yield that's reasonable for you and and base that entry price based on that because the dividends is where a big part of the return is going to come through, particularly with your capital pretty much locked up. Yep, interesting, Andrew. Thank you for sending that through as a suggestion. It's fabulous. Uh, now Andy wants a view, uh, Andrew, on Heramed. Um, Andy says uh, I'm a shareholder. 
liking the high caliber partners uh, that Heramed is collaborating with. It's uh, um, a technology startup in uh, connected pregnancy monitoring solutions for, for home use. Yeah, I hadn't come across this one before. So very early stage company. Yeah, so it's the same kind of usual story. Very big market opportunity, very promising technology. Will they or won't they? The opportunity is definitely there, but then we we know statistically these are hard sort of chasms to sort of to sort of cross. They listed back in late 2018. Shares haven't really gone anywhere since then. Um, they're still not de uh, delivering any any material sales. But it's all based around this fetal heartbeat monitor, which integrates in with an app and, and a web-based SaaS uh, platform to help manage uh, pregnancy at home. It's part of this sort of telehealth uh, phenomena. Right. And, and look, they, they seem to be doing um, really great things on the technology front. Uh, as Andy mentioned, there's a couple of interesting partnerships. One's with a, a group called Obstetrics, which is a, a, a women's and children's physician services network over in the US. They've got a trial. It's a two and a half billion dollar company. They've got a trial there with Heramed for 100 uh, customers. There's another one for a similar size as well. So if they get picked up, if, if these trials are successful and they get picked up, you're looking at something that's potentially quite interesting. So it's hard to value this company at this mm. point because there's really not that many financials. But it is interesting that they did give away their, their problem, well, not give away, they, they disclosed this sort of pricing uh, for these uh, kits. So if you look at these these trials converting to full customers, you're about at 200 paying customers, which is going to probably put you just on that on 20 times sales. And if you can manage to, again, extremely low base, but once you sort of get to, you know, a thousand or so uh, customers, these, num these multiples come down very quickly. So it's potentially very cheap. But here's the rub. We just we just don't know if that traction is going to come through. We don't know if these trials are going to be successful. I'm not familiar with the other competitive offerings that are sort of out there. So definitely interesting, definitely worth a look. I just want to see a bit of traction and, and get a better feel of, of the lay of the land in terms of what the industry looks like. Okay. Michael? Um, at 37 million, it's as, as micro cap as you can really get on the market. So it's not one I had ever come across before. Um, as Andrew touched upon, the balance sheet in this instance is, is completely useless. They don't even have any revenue at the moment. They're going through these trial processes. Um, so it's in many ways similar to a biotech, where if some of these trials and some of these tenders go well, then there's going to be a big uptick in revenue coming through the door, hopefully at some point. But there's also a chance that that doesn't happen or as much revenue as everyone's hoping doesn't come through. So very high risk proposition at the moment. They do have a few balls in the air and fingers crossed some of those do come off for them. Um, by all accounts, the technology has been pretty good. Um, patient adherence, so using the interactivity of the platform has been pretty good. 100% um, of the professionals that have been sort of using this technology in the trial, such as physicians and midwives have given it glowing reviews and would recommend it to other people. Uh, there could be a little, a little bit of bias in there. Obviously, um, they probably have something some benefit to be had if this does become successful but yeah look it's a it's it is what it is it's a very small micro cap with a good idea that good idea is yet to be proven um so you, i think as a as an investor you can you're hardly investing in something like this it's very much speculation at this mm. early stage yeah so no guns and sorry, just one more thing. I keep forgetting to go through all my points. The um, the other thing to bear in mind, Andy, is that these guys are, are burning through cash, uh, cash at a reasonably decent rate, and there's only $2.5 million left of cash in the bank. So there's, there's a capital raise coming at some point. Yeah, and it, it sort of, it seemed to me one of those companies that 
was almost better to keep it private and bring in venture capitalists until it got a bit bigger and and some runs on the board, then list and float um, so that you had some sales and some revenue and things like that with the house. And plus and without audience. all the hassle of being a listed company and disclosure yeah, and all requirements. The yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, Michael, Will wants a view on Vonix. Of course, it, uh, a telecommunications company with a difference. It's in uh, mobile, internet, fixed lines, PBX, voice, um, predominantly targeting that small to medium uh, enterprise customer, SMN, uh, SME end of the uh, of the market, connecting all the telecommunications requirements for, for SMEs. Uh, what do you think of Vonex? Yeah, again, a company that's very small, hadn't come across yeah. it, only sort of 50 mil market cap. But from doing a little bit of reading, they're on a bit of a, an aggressive acquisition streak at the moment with three acquisitions in the last 18 months or so. Um, they've recently announced their biggest acquisition of the lots. Um, so my net phone or MNF's um, direct business. So for about 31 million, which was a big acquisition given the size of the company. So it's almost a game changer for them. Uh, with that comes a lot of risk. If they can pull it off, it, it probably adds a lot of value to the company. But again, there is a, a big risky element to all of that. Um, it's interesting because the industry at the moment is heading very much to internet-based phone services where essentially you run your phone services through either Zoom or Microsoft Teams. And, and we're actually going through the process of that at the moment here at Medallion. So it's quite interesting that this company's obviously got to the forefront of that and that's potentially helped them deliver some what are some pretty impressive numbers when it comes to revenue growth etc um so look it, it's a, an emerging telco company uh, my big question for a company like this is what is its competitive advantage there seems to be you know a plethora of very similar companies out there offering very similar services often to small medium-sized businesses Obviously, there are a lot of small and medium-sized businesses out there, so it's a very large target market, but there's a lot of competition as well, not only from smaller players such as Vonex, but from many of the big players too. So for mine, um, I'd have to learn a lot more about this company and understand it a bit better just to try and understand what its advantages are. But if you're looking at things like revenue, it's been ticking higher. Obviously, they've been acquiring a lot of businesses, so that revenue should be ticking higher. Um, over that time, it does look like the margins have come back a little bit, which is a little bit concerning because if you're taking on all these acquisitions and you're not maintaining the margins that you had previously, it shows that it is taking a little bit of time to embed these acquisitions down. So I would probably look to invest in this if I was going to invest in it once I saw margins bottom out and start to tick higher. And at this stage, that's not happening. So for mine, it's okay. a, a no-go, it's a sell. Uh, Andrew? Yeah, Michael's nailed it. <clears throat> I mean, it. it it's one of these areas where you can do really well. I mean, my netphone's done pretty well uh, over time, but it's just, it's such a, a competitive industry and it really is, it's not obvious from an outsider what gives these guys a, a particular edge. Sales growth is nice. Growth is always nice. Um, but if you're just buying it, you can actually buy your way to poorer shareholder outcomes. You know, so there's, there's the when you look at just the the sales, yeah, they've gone up. They more than doubled in the last couple of years. But then there's a hell of a lot more shares on issue too now as well. So that that dilutes it all. Um, so it's that's what's tricky uh, for me. What's the edge? What's the point of difference? These these are kind of an industry where execution is everything. And again, if you can do that, then then great. This might this might prove to be a really great investment. But understanding what that edge is and making sure you're comfortable that that's sort of sustainable um, in a very fierce market, in one that's 
prone to, to rapid change. I think you just need to be a little bit careful. So for me, it's it's a pass. Okay. All right. Liam wants a view, um, uh, Andrew, on Sigma Healthcare. They're the uh, basically the big pharmacy uh, network. Um, they distribute all the pharmacy products through uh, Amcal, PharmaSave, Chemist King, discount drug stores, um, about 1,200 branded and independent stores they represent. And interestingly, put in a takeover offer for API in the same sector, which is Priceline. Um, so uh, what do you think of Sigma? Huge blue chip company, three and a half billion dollars in sales. It's been listed on the ASX for over 20 years, you know, so it, it and it's it's involved in pharmaceutical wholesale. So, you know, it, yep. it seems as though it would be a really rock solid business, but it's actually been terrible. I think the shares are about the same as they were, uh, were about 20 years ago. Um, uh, in, fact, about, in fact, the lowest they've been in the last 10 years or so where they are at the moment. It's just it's a very, very mature business where growth is very hard to come by. And frankly, they've just been out operated by API. It's going back about, I want to say, eight years or so, six maybe. Um, API invested heavily into its infrastructure and really ramped, you know, new um, new technology systems and the rest really just ramped up their efficiency and left Sigma in, in the dust, frankly. And they've been trying to catch up uh, ever since and they've had to make a lot of investment to sort of bring themselves up to speed. But it's, none of it's translated into shareholder uh, returns of, of any worth whatsoever. So you've actually got now shares trading on a P of a 20, 23 or so, which is a lot for a company with, with no growth. Uh, maybe you can normalize dividends and sort of look through COVID and come up with something that might be around about a 5% yield, you know, okay. But that's that's kind of what you're sort of looking at as a return. And now on top of that, you've got this potential transition where they merge with, it's effective a merger because they're Sigma and API are very similar in size. Um, yeah, on paper, it looks great. They reckon they can take $45 million in costs out of the business. So for these two businesses with a combined net profit of, a little bit over a hundred million dollars. That's that's significant, and if achieved, we'll we'll do a lot to sort of lift the, with the price. But that but we know what integration risks are like. We've got to assume that they actually gets past the ACCC. In fact, uh, whether that's mm. um, going to happen, whether or not Westfarmers ups its bid and then forces these guys to pay more. I just don't like the company. I think they'll probably be a better company with API in the stable, but it's too much uncertainty for for for, for me at this point, and not not a great history. Yeah, Michael. It's a very challenging industry. Obviously, um, they proliferated the the industry, and with a couple of big names that you mentioned, Priceline, Amcal, but the margins are razor, razor thin, and so it's thin. extremely, extremely competitive. I mean, gross margins around two percent, probably average over the last five years. There has been a bit of a tick up as we've come into COVID. People sort of freaking out at the first sign of a sore throat or something, probably going to the pharmacies and buying stuff, but. Revenue growth being anemic. Um, the merger with Priceline, or, or sorry, um, I forget the body, the name at the moment. Sorry, um, API. API. Uh, probably a, a good thing for the company long term. Give them more scale. They can probably drive some sort of efficiencies there. But it's a, a tough industry. Um, Chemist Warehouse and Sigma had a contract going back a couple of years ago. Uh, that Chemist Warehouse contract wasn't renewed. There was a separate. Chemist Warehouse contract that has since picked up a lot of the slack and the volume has returned. So they've somewhat overcome that little bit of a hiccup. But from mine, looking at the long-term performance of the balance sheet of this company, I find it very difficult to get excited. Um, so for that reason, I don't like it. It's a sell. Okay. All right. 
Um, but uh, really active space at the moment and trying to improve margins through, uh, through mergers. Be fascinating to see how that turns out. Uh, our next stock uh, up for a look at and analysis, Michael, is Super Retail. Uh, of course, they're the ones with, what is it, Rebel Sport, uh, BCF, boating, camping and fishing, sort of focuses on retail in that, that outdoor and, uh, and sport area, does it? And a bit of automotive. Yeah, and, and super cheap auto super is the other big brand right. That's right. in there yep. as well. And this is a company that's done very well um, through lockdown. They've seen, uh, they saw last year, I think, a 22% jump uh, in their sales, which is, is a very large jump. Um, the dividends also were up significantly. Margins were up a lot because obviously the, the in-store network took a bit of a hit, but everyone was online buying things. So that benefited them. Because on the face of it, you wouldn't have expected things like BCF to do so well, obviously with people unable to travel to the regions. Things like Rebel, obviously sports being suspended, um, local sports being suspended. So you would have thought that struggled. But for whatever reason, um, they've actually done quite well. And the, the big question is whether or not this is sustainable, um, whether or not we're going to see these numbers continue to power ahead. And it's looking very unlikely certainly that's what the analysts think and that's what the share price is probably telling you that the best of the gains are probably behind us um, looking at the first couple of months of fy22 sales are already down sort of 14 percent on the previous year so there is an expectation that a lot of the the hot air which has been put into the, the balance sheet and into the company will probably dissipate particularly as people oddly enough return to their large store network that will actually impact their margins as well so for mine, it's a wait and see, certainly not a, a bad company in my view, but the long term suggests that it's very difficult for this company to generate consistent earnings and revenue growth, hence why the share prices has tracked sideways. But um, definitely had a good 18 months or so. The question is, can it continue? And that's a question I cannot answer. So for that reason, it's a sell. Okay. Andrew? Yeah, I'm with Michael. I think it's a really good um, business. Um, re I've always said retail is a very tough area, and these these guys have got a long history of doing pretty well in there. The, the, the top line overall has actually grown pretty steadily over the years, near perfect 6%, 7% per annum since about 2013 or so. Um, and operating margins have just taken off, as Michael was uh, discussing there. So, you know, it went from around 12% previously. Last year it was 18% and then up to 22%. That's huge. So that, that's why you get a, a net profit jump of 100%. Um, uh, and, and also, too, this online story is just they, they made a lot of early investments before COVID in this sort of omni-channel thing that a lot of retailers talk about. But it meant they were really well positioned. So, you know, online sales up 43% last year, but they're averaging 55% growth over the last four years. And online sales still only represents 12% of the total. So um, I think it is a very well-run business. I think it's got good opportunities. Um, again, Michael's right. There's this big spike that we saw uh, uh, the year just ended. That's not going to continue. In fact, the company itself came out and said, look, for the first, I think, seven weeks of the year, we've seen sales across our network drop by about 14%. Mm. But it's still 9% above from the year before. So I think you sort of, again... There's a lot of normalization that we have to sort of do with this unusual period that we've been through. But if you do that, um, I still think and you get to a dividend that's sort of back to where it was in 2019. You still you still get somewhere that's around like a five percent yield or something and maybe around seven percent when you gross it up with with franking credits. So it's a business I don't think it actually needs a staggering amount of growth for investors, long term investors to do well. It's never going to shoot the lights out. 
But I think you probably do reasonably well out of it. So I'm actually going to put this one forward as, as a yes at this point mm. in time um, because I, I think it is well run and I think I think the price is, is pretty undemanding. I mean, it's not going to be an afterpay, but I think you'll probably outperform the market with this one. Okay. All right. Let's recap the first uh, five stocks. Our, our future fund, if you like, uh, portfolio additions, Kip McGrath, the education group, and of course, CSL, the, uh, the big vaccine uh, supplier. Um, and blood plasma, of course, is its, its main business over the years. Uh, supply network, a, uh, a yes from Michael, um, a yes from Andrew, but on a pullback. Thinks it's very expensive mm. at the moment, but likes the company. Really solid management, always performed. And uh, one that I hadn't come across, even though uh, we talk about automotive stocks um, so much on this um, on the call here. So. Could be a little gem to keep in mind. Uh, Hiramed, no, uh, from both Vonix, a no. Sigma Healthcare, a no. Uh, Super Retail, a no from uh, from uh, Michael, but a yes from uh, from Andrew. Um, here on the call, um, we have our own fantasy portfolio um, that we've been tracking since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner NabTrade. Any stock that gets two thumbs up from our expert panel goes into the portfolio. Uh, it's up uh, a bit over 2% for the week, half a percent for the month, almost 5% since the 1st of July this year, since its inception, uh, 1st of July last year, it's up just over 40%. Some of the stocks recently added by our expert panel, uh, Dusk, the Centuria Industrial REIT, Regis Resources, Universal Store and Boss Resources, some of the stocks taken out, A2 Milk, uh, New Hope, Medical Developments and Rio Tinto. Uh, if you want to check all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Um, and Andrew, with the straw man uh, platform, um, sort of like an investor club, are you seeing any shifts um, over the last week or so? Any trends that, that are coming through? Uh... No, I mean we, we look. It's a it's a it's a broad church at Strawman, but uh, the index that we use to sort of track everyone doesn't change too often. We only seek to rebalance it once a week anyway, and often nothing happens. I guess the yeah. big moves recently is Cog States really found favour amongst our members. Oh. Uh, so that's that's one thing that's in, and there was a bit of a specky one in there with Brainchip, which got booted out recently. So they're probably the major changes in the last week for us. Ah, okay. It's always. Always go on and check it out on a regular basis. Fascinating. To, uh, sort of gives you a bit of an idea of the pulse of retail investors, enthusiastic investors. Uh, go and check it online if you, uh, if you want more information. Um, and, uh, Michael Mel wants a view on Qantas, the, uh, the flying kangaroo. One question from Mel. Have I missed the boat on this? Or is it likely to increase once borders open up? I've been sitting on Flight Center in my little super fund that has done nothing for about nine months and the last couple of months has uh, actually shot the lights out, which has been good. Yeah, we, we've had Webjet, which is obviously a similar thematic. Yeah. And corporate travel too. Corporate, corporate travel has been doing really well despite yeah. the lockdowns. Um, that yeah. was probably the first to jump. And then obviously Webjet and Flight Center have kicked up a lot in the last couple of months. So we would expect that to continue. Um, Qantas, we would look, Qantas as a trading stock, you could probably make justifications for buying it. Um, but I find it very hard to get too over the moon with a company like Qantas. 
Um, we just find airlines to be very, very challenging. Um, history, you know, is, is littered with countless airlines that have gone belly up for, for various reasons. Um, it's incredibly capital intensive, incredibly competitive. Often, you know, Qantas is competing with state-funded foreign airlines, um, get access to cheap energy or whatever it is. Uh, but also there's currency fluctuations, there's oil fluctuations. So it's a very, very hard business to do well off. Um, Qantas actually makes most of its money from the domestic operations, which have been severely hindered given the lockdowns. But again, once we do return to normal, you'd expect them to benefit immensely from that. Um, the question is, how competitive is it going to be upon reopening? Um, in order to try and attract customers, they're going to probably offer all sorts of attractive deals to people and will probably run at a, a big loss for a while just to try and consolidate that market share. So there's all these ifs and, and buts and, and what ifs. So again, it's very, very complex business and a very, very challenging environment for it. Um, historically, Qantas up around these prices is, a, is an opportunity to sell it. Um, and you want to be maybe picking up this company when it's, you know, hopefully, or not hopefully, when it's back down around that sort of $1, $1.50 mark where it got a few years back. So for mine, it's a, a no to sell, too complex. Yeah. Okay, and we're seeing some of those covered it on on um, sunrise today Jetstar's doing and virgin doing 30 dollar flights between sydney and melbourne when we open up so that sort of backs up what you're saying with the pricing to get us traveling again um andrew what do you think of uh, Qantas? It, it's probably the best run airline in the world um yeah. alan joyce has done an incredible job uh particularly from sort of a 2013 2014 through to pre-pandemic i mean the, the airline was just humming it did incredibly well but but yeah. <laughs> panning out it, it's 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 just horrendous um, another quote from buffett is you know when a when an industry with a reputation for poor economics meets a management team with an ex with reputation for excellence it's the industries whose reputation remains intact and you know you you could go back to when this first floated in 98 uh, 95 or something like that held it the whole way through, reinvested dividends when they paid them. They haven't always done that. Um, and you're going to get about 4 5% maybe um, as a total shareholder return, half the market average. And this is the best run airline in the world. So it's a very, very tough industry. If you're great with timing, maybe. But the, my problem with that argument is, is that that's true of anything. You might as well do Bitcoin or something if, if timing is your game. So because um, that's the only thing that's kind of going for this year. And the other thing that I'd raise in regard to Mel's uh, comment here, which is very thinking rightly here that, you know, there's an opportunity here longer term, but you've got to always remember that everyone is looking past this thing. So yeah. this isn't, this isn't something that no one's talking about or no one's thinking. Everyone's looking past the pandemic. So the fact that the share price is already halved from pandemic lows, I mean, doubled from its pandemic lows, you know, shows you that already. So I think to, to answer the question, yeah, I think you have missed the boat on this one here. They've got $6 billion in debt. They're having to do a lot of balance sheet repair in the years ahead. They've talked a bit about that. Uh, they lost $12 billion in revenue with this sort of shutdown. But there'll be another crisis that'll, you know, whether it's an oil shock or a currency shock or or whatever it happens to be. So it's just sort of like it, 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 the time to buy is when there is blood in the streets. But then again, you know, you can buy much better things when there's blood in the streets. So I've, yeah. I've never found a compelling reason to buy it. Yeah. And uh, I think we've had a few experts here on the call. So if you want an aviation stock, go for Alliance Aviation, which is uh, um, a mining services stock as well. So, <laughs> so you sort of have that buffer. 
Yes, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's exactly. It. I mean, they, these they the, the, some of the smaller players are actually quite interesting because they've largely got certain roots to themselves and yeah. stuff. Very niche yeah. operators. And maybe there's the exception there, but with the big international yep. carriers, it's just what a tough game. Yep, exactly. All right, uh, Andrew Julian wants a view on Transurban. Julian says I'm a shareholder around these current prices. Um, with their recent announcement of a capital raise, I'm not sure what the best option is considering their four options for current shareholders. Uh, what's the panel's thoughts on how the Reserve Bank tapering may affect the short to medium term outlook? Because being these sort of big infrastructure defensive stocks, Transurban, of course, is the big toll road operator. Um, sometimes their share price is linked to bond yields for, for uh, big investors. Andrew, some really good points from Julian. Great points. Um, fantastic business, by the way. Transurban's just been great. I mean, capital growth alone has been 9% compound over the last 20 years with a very reliable, attractive dividend along the way. So it's another one of these stocks that would have paid your initial purchase price back many times over. So it's a fantastic business. It's a monopoly business. You can't, you know, you and I can have all the money in the world. We're never going to build... Uh, another road next, right next door to the West Connects, you know. Yeah. Um, the price of that, of course, is very high regulation uh, and, and just immense costs in, in building these things, you know, billions of dollars to build a couple of stretch of kilometres of, of good road type thing. So, um, but they just very well managed. So this, this is really, when I look at a, an asset like this, you're really looking at management's um, uh, abilities in terms of capital management. Can they buy really good quality assets in a way where they don't overexpose the, the the business with too much too much leverage, and then just collect this very very long tail of of cash flow for many 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 years. The thing you've got to remember too is that these aren't these guys aren't dullards, you know. So they know they know the interest rate risk, they know the inflation risk, which is why a lot of the contracts that they have are actually tied with a CPI floor in them, and they have set mandated pricing. They've done a lot of work, and they're dealing generally the counterparty they're dealing with are governments who might be thinking about the next election. These guys are thinking about the next 10 or 20 years. So they tend to be pretty savvy operators. Um, having said all of that, you're looking at a pretty low yield at the moment. And so as much as I like the company, I, I don't think it's 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 screaming value. It's probably mm -hmm. okay, but and for a long-term hold. Just to get back to the, the, the question here, so that what, what they're talking about here is they're going to buy the other remaining part of West Connects. So that requires billions of dollars. They're doing a one for nine renounceable rights issue. So that means that for every um, uh, nine shares that you hold, you'll be able to buy another one at $13 each. Now, the share price at the moment, I haven't looked today, but it's $13.50 or something like that. Um, which is a good deal. And that's and if you think that, that the company is going to be able to take that money and get a good return on it and read their presentation on West Connects, they feel as though they can, it's a good opportunity. But Transurban have done it really, I think, shareholder friendly in the sense that a lot of companies do non-renounceable rights issues, which is use it or lose it. These guys have said, if you don't want it, sell your rights to someone else. So yep. you can actually sell those rights for about 54 cents each if you didn't want to take up your offer. So the options here are take up some of the offer, take up all of it, sell some of it, do a combination of the two. And the answer will always depend on, well, if you want to increase your exposure to this and you think prices are good, then yes, um, you should probably take up those options. If not, sell your rights, get a little bit of extra cash um, uh, and, and play it that way. But for me, it's it's a, probably a hold at this stage. I, I don't think I'd be looking to increase my exposure at these levels. Okay, Michael? Um, so Andrew's probably covered up um, on the, the capital raising. So there's four essential options there that people can take up. Just be careful that if you do take up your entitlement in the first tranche or in the early tranche, 
then you won't be able to sell your entitlement. So mm. just read the, the fine print and, and, and be careful, maybe speak to someone. That way uh, you can work out the different alternatives there. Um, with Transurban, it's done a very good job at establishing itself as a monopoly. Um, it's increased its market share considerably over the years and really emerged as the only toll road operator of scale in Australia. Um, when people talk about good quality traits of businesses, they often talk about market share, something that you look for. And, and that's true to some extent, market share is very important, but what's important, I think more important than market share and in absolute terms is the growth in market share. Often it's better to pick up a business with 1% market share grown to 2% market share than a business with 75, 80% market share that's remaining constant or even falling back a little bit. And that's the concern I have with something like Transurban. Um, the fact is that their cash flows, these figures are maybe a year or two out of date, but their cash flow figures equate to around $6 billion per year. Um, they pay out about $4 billion per year, which leaves them with $2 billion cash flow left over, yet their capex is about $12 billion per year. Wow. So the fact is they've got to keep going to the market more often than not to raise more money to keep expanding, because unless this company keeps expanding, undertaking new capex projects, they can't grow that quickly. They'll just be a boring old toll road operator growing at 3 4 5% a year maximum. Um, so there'll be more of a bond type investment rather than a growth type investment. And that's probably what you've seen in the last few years. The rate of expansion has slowed significantly and the share price has started to, to drift sideways because it hasn't been the exciting, juicy growth profile that they were once on. Um, this recent acquisition will change that to some extent, but obviously each new acquisition has a, a marginally diminishing impact on the business. And let's also get it straight that the toll road operator isn't without risk. Um, going back a few years now, Transurban had a poor foray into the US where they undertook two large scale projects and they ended up writing off one of those projects to zero um, because the traffic sure. wasn't there. So I don't think they'll have that problem in Australia. Um, often what you're looking for in a toll road is not just um, individuals driving their cars. You want it to be a big thoroughfare for the transportation of goods because obviously the trucks pay $15, $20 per per toll, whereas you and me only pay $4, $5. So that's a key component as well, looking at the mix of that toll road and who uses it. So for mine, it's a, a safe hold, I think, if you're looking for a bit of income, but just be conscious that the growth that people have become accustomed to won't necessarily be replicated going forward. Okay. All right. Thank you for that uh, that suggestion, Julian, and good questions there on the, uh, on the options you should be taking out. Uh, Michael Rahul wants a view on Food Revolution Group. They uh, manufacture uh, juices, infused fruits, fruit waters, that sort of thing in the retail market. Um, this is the first time Food Revolution's come up here, I think, on the call. Yeah, it's um, another very, very small company at $25 million. Um, I wasn't familiar with the company, but when I looked them up, I, I was familiar with the, the black label orange juice that I remember from when I was a kid all the way up. So that gave a bit of familiarity to the business. Um, also, they do some of those healthcare shots, um, things like the ginger infused uh, morning you know, shot or hangover cures, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I was familiar with some of those. I'm not sure if they work or a placebo, but they, they make me feel good about myself. <laughs> I thought you were going to give them a, a, a sort of a critique on whether it did get rid of a hangover. <laughs> look, I, I, look it, it seems to work. Who knows? But um, 
the fact is they're in a lot of Coles stores. They've got 70% market share when it comes to those functional shots category. That's what they, they sort of term it as. Um, they're looking to get their store presence from Coles up from about 480 stores up to 1,000 stores, which can be a two-double-edged sword. Yes, it will boost up their revenue, but what are the margins? Are they having to sell their soul to the, the devil just to get on the shelves, so to speak? So all these things need to be considered. Um, it's, again, a very, very small company. I doubt it's very liquid, and I, I don't know that much about it, so I'm, I'm steering clear. Yep. Uh, Andrew? Yeah, I, I wasn't familiar with it either. Um, look, it's sales have been flat since about 2017, um, and due to a big capital raise, I think for an acquisition, the, the you know it's actually halved uh, on that basis as well. It's still an unprofitable business. Yes, it really. I mean, you can imagine if you were making if you're a juicer, right? And then all of a sudden, Woolie said, "We want to stock your your um, your your bottles." I mean, that is the best news you're ever going to have. But very quickly you learn that these guys are brutal negotiators. And as Michael right, very rightly points out, you know they, they, they're really going to um, make sure that they, they capture the lion's share of any sort of value that is that is created there. So yes, great product. Yes, it's in a lot of Coles and, and Woolworths. Yes, they've got a bit of an expanding range there. So it looks, it looks interesting, but the profitability just isn't there. Um, although maybe they've just tipped into profitability, so maybe there is a bit of an inflection point at this point in time. They're a twenty-six million dollar uh, company that's generating forty-two million dollars in sales, but I just I just want to see some traction there. I'd want to see they're also moving into China, I think, with with um, with their Eridani product range uh, as well. You know, so maybe there's some growth growth potential there. It's just it's just so hard to know. Uh, at this early stage, so for that for that reason, I, I think it's often better to miss out on some of the early upside, but invest with yep. far less risk by giving up some of that. Is, is my personal take. Um, so for that yeah. reason, no. And pretty liquid by the look of the charts there as Very. well. Um, Andrew Gina wants uh, a view on Limeade. Um, they're a, a software business, but uh, in uh, their software is targeted to employee experience within uh, within companies. They recently bought a, a US-based company called Tiny Pulse for around $12 million. Um, and basically, it's uh, their communication platforms for, uh, for employees. Yeah, so in, in employee experience software. I read that too and thought, well, what the hell does that actually mean? <laughs> um, there's sort of a lot of feel-good kind of stuff on, on their website, but it, just, it was hard to sort of drill into. And, and having worked for large organizations, I did roll my eyes a little bit thinking, oh, thank God I don't have to do that stuff um, anymore. <laughs> but but um, hey, they, they've had some pretty decent growth. $170 million market uh, cap the last couple of years, 20% circa growth. But in the latest half, it's just flat, and they're forecasting flat for the full year. So for a sort of software company that has this, again, chasing this big market opportunity and seem to have some big-name clients on there growing really fast, when that growth stops, we've seen this before, you see what happens to the share price. And the share price has just you know dropped 65%, in fact, mm. since it listed uh, back in well, uh, late 2019. Um, uh, recently, I noticed as well that they just lost uh, the American Airlines contract as well. That was something that's worth $2 million annually, a bit more in Australian dollar terms. That's US dollars. So that's about 6 7 8% of the total that they make. And the reason that they dropped it was just because they're doing some internal cost cutting. So it shows you how essential mm. the software is, at least from American Airlines' point of view. And I know they're obviously doing it tough, but... 
it just seems like it's that 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 growth narrative has has disappeared for the moment. Whether that starts up up again or not is the, is the thing to watch. If it does, this is probably a good uh, a, a bit of a bargain. But again, it's just it's really hard to find the 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 the. Um, what's essential about this what's the take up going to be what else are other there's a lot of similar hr experience yeah. software applications out there so just a lot of questions so in good good conscience i can't recommend it to buy but even even based on on these other things it just it just it, it doesn't doesn't compel me hmm. michael yeah so look it's an interesting um space or subsector if you like because there's definitely becoming more awareness of the need to better support employees um, to make sure that they're not deflated or feeling down and and getting sort of real-time information about the mindset of your employees is becoming invaluable to companies or valuable to clients uh, to companies clearly not invaluable because as Andrew touched upon they just lost a contract so it's a, a tough environment for, for these sorts of platforms because when businesses are doing it tough these sorts of things are one of the easy things to get rid of just to, to save a bit of cash. And then once things are going well again, then you can turn your attention to it. Um, its gross margins are, are very high, but, but I mean, you look at something like Elmo, which is in a similar space, their margins are significantly higher. Um, but look, from my standpoint, I just, again, don't know enough about this company. It's a fairly recent listing. Um, it would be good to see the company winning contracts more than they're losing uh, and that's that's the key to the business just to show that they're stemming the bleeding through this time uh, and that they're able to sort of get on a good growth trajectory consistently yeah and and the other hurdle for little companies like this is you know most companies say you slack as your employee communication tool and when they bolt on an employee reward scheme to it they've already got the the mass market don't they so you're up against some really big boys globally and you know? big boys getting into it as an extension of existing products. Um, something that uh, um, would be a great benefit to employees. Uh, Riley wants a view on Lark Distilling. Uh, send them a bottle of whiskey to uh, improve their spirits, so to speak. Boom, boom. Uh, <laughs> Riley wants to know, Michael, whether this is a good reopening play. Lark Distillery based in Tasmania. Um, I notice in there in their um, recent annual accounts, they, they valued the stock, the inventory they had on hold, which was, uh, according to them, worth more than the capital of the business. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like many of these wine companies or champagne businesses, yes. the, the big barrels that they keep on site and then they age to a certain quality and grade. You can actually add a lot of margin, a lot of value. Mm. They can be very capital intensive initially um, when you're, going through to the early distilling process. But over time, if you get the right characteristics and the right taste notes and all that sort of jazz, then it can really um, turn into a lucrative outcome. And in fact, there's a few different um, fund type uh, investments where investors can actually invest in wine barrels and whiskey barrels, and you get like an ongoing yield from it. It's not something I invest in or have clients investing in, don't get me wrong, but I have from time to time heard of these things. So it can be quite lucrative. I mean, this particular business has been a, an incredible IPO, probably one of the best IPOs in the time frame that it's been listed, listing in May 2020. The share price is up over 400%. Um, and again, it's not one that I, that I had heard of, um, but probably wish I did a lot earlier on. Um, so seems to be doing a lot of the right things, winning a lot of uh, awards and medals for its products and, and its quality. 
Uh, and there's definitely been a lot of um, recognition now for Australian whisky, particularly coming from Tasmania, for instance. So it's good to see that an Australian company is making a good fist of it on the international stage and using that clean, green Australian produce theme to get a bit of a, a foot in the door. Uh, one thing I would caution um, is that the Chinese market is a potential big market for, for something like this, but it's also a potential for that demand to be trodden on at any moment by the authorities that be in China. So just need to be careful in that respect. Um, they've recently got access to a new bank and debt facility from one of the big four banks, and that will again allow them to produce more of their whiskey and then age it and, and barrel it and whatever they do to it. So interesting company. I find it very difficult to buy something probably emotionally or, or, or subconsciously that's gone up uh, 400%, but it looks like it's a, a pretty interesting uh, business proposition, but I'm not game enough to give it a buy. Yep. Um, Andrew? Uh, yeah, so fascinating business. I'll be quick. Um, but yeah, the price earnings of 90, price to sales of 18 for a distillery just seems a lot. But I mean, they've really gone with this premiumization kind of focus. I mean, you can buy some of their whiskey for $2,000 a bottle. So, oh. you know, even even the standard ones at 300 bucks a bottle, I think. So this this whiskey bank, so-called, as they've got it, has been getting larger and larger in terms of the leaders sort of held. But the value of that is going up and up. So you rightly point out, and they point out and they make a note of this that, you know, it's, it's looking to grow to about $400 million worth by FY22 for a company that's worth $300 million. Now, they've got to make sure that nothing happens to that, of course, and that they can still extract the price that they expect at the end of that period and the rest of it. But it looks like it's a great brand. It's one, one of the four finalists for Whiskey of the Year, a bunch of different medals. Uh, they've um, uh, they've got some good uh, limited releases. Limited releases make up about half of their sales, so they get that right. They've done really mm. well. So it's really it's a really interesting business and very well uh, executed so far. Just extremely expensive, potentially a bit of a takeover target, hence the bit of the premium on it. So for me, a bit too expensive, but but an interesting business. Yeah, fantastic. All right, gents, thank you for that. Fascinating hour, as always, from you two. Andrew Page from Strawbank, good to see you. Catch us shortly. Michael Wayne Thanks, from uh, Medallion, always good to catch up. Thanks, Thank Koshi. Uh, let's just recap our final five stocks uh, here on the call for today. Qantas, uh, a no from both Andrew and Michael. Transurban, a hold from both if you're an income investor. Uh, Food Revolution, a no. Limeade, a no. And Lark, a no as well. If you'd like us to uh, analyse any stocks on the expert panel, uh, email the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at osbiztv handle. Uh, look at all the stocks in the calls portfolio. Just head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. <laughs> Nail salon. What? I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Groceries through Instacart delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store.